Welcome back to Beyond the Model Asian. Today, we have a very special guest joining us today, Fiona Ma. How are you doing today, Mrs. Ma? I am doing great. Thank you, Andrew and Ella. No, thank you. It's a, Again, it's a privilege to have you here today, mm -hmm. and we are so happy to be able to talk to you. So again, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, so before we begin, could you please introduce yourself and what you do? Sure. Uh, my name is Fiona Ma, and I am the California State Treasurer. Incredible to hear. So yeah, I guess that's a great, I guess, segue into our first question, which is, how does it exactly feel to be the California State Treasurer? And was this really like always your goal, even when growing up? Um, actually, no, I never thought I would be in elected office. Uh, my parents were both born in China, immigrated to Hong Kong, they met in Canada and decided to settle in New York, where myself, my brother and my sister were born. And growing up, uh, they wanted us to be one of the lead professions, a lawyer, engineer, accountant, or a doctor. Gotcha. Uh, so I am an accountant, my brother's an engineer, and my sister is a doctor. So we're just missing a lawyer in the family, <laughs> but I'm sure if we had one more sibling, <laughs> that person would be a lawyer. Anyway, um, I was good at math growing up and my parents encouraged me to follow that path and trained me uh, to balance their checkbook and help them compile information for their taxes, uh, taught me about investments and the stock market and um, decided to uh, go to the Rochester Institute of Technology in New York because number one, it was close to my home. I, they did not want me to fly at that time anywhere. And secondly, because they had a CPA dedicated track. So I could actually take all the courses and sit for the CPA exam uh, before I graduated. Wow. Most, um, if you want to be a CPA, uh, you normally go to a business school and then take additional classes before you can sit for the exam. So um, I also had two uh, required internships, which I did in the Manhattan office of Princeton Winnie in the trust and estate department. And they did eventually offer me a job after I graduated. But by that time, my parents decided to move to San Francisco. So I interviewed again and decided to stay with Ernst & Winnie in the real estate tax group. So I stayed for five years, um, got my master's in taxation, did all of my audit hours. And then I decided to quit and start my own practice because there were no uh, women or people of color in leadership roles at the time. And I became president of the Asian Business Association. So at the age of 27, that was the first time I got involved in politics, representing women and minority small businesses at the local, state, and federal level. And one thing led to another, and I started to understand that politics is important, that uh, people who are elected have a big say in where the money goes in terms mm. of the budget as well as policy issues like what laws are being signed. And so I got more and more interested, got more involved uh, on different campaigns, did a lot of pro bono work for candidates um, because the filings are very difficult to keep track of the donations. And then finally ran for office and got elected to the San Francisco Board of Supervisors when I was 36 years old. Wow. Uh, yeah, I represented uh, the Sunset District here in San Francisco. So there's 11 members on our board 
of supervisors. We are a city and county combined. And when I got elected 20 years ago, I was the only Asian and only the second woman elected. Um, and so that was my first office. And then I got elected to the state assembly, the state board of equalization and the state treasurer's office in 2018 and reelected in 2022. So um, this has been my calling and I'm very uh, honored and happy that the voters of California continue to elect me to do my passion job. Of course. I mean, I think it's really interesting that this career wasn't exactly what you had in mind as a young girl. However, in the end, your success is certainly admirable, along with the steps it took you to get there, even at a young age. And so for those in the audience that are not aware, you ran for the state treasurer position some time ago, and you received over 7 million votes. So you were named to be the candidate that has received the most votes ever for becoming the treasurer of California. So what do you think you did in the campaign that allowed so many people to resonate with your message? Well, number one, um, you know, I was uh, elected uh, to, to three prior positions before that. So mm. I had the electoral experience plus uh, being a CPA, I think really helped. And it was interesting because when I ran for treasurer, the other candidates were also CPA. So, you know, people in the financial arena uh, do run for state treasurer and state controller. And I think that really helped keeping my CPA license up to date uh, for the last, you know, 20 plus years. I mean, that's just incredible to hear, though. Again, like it does make sense with all the background that you had coming into the election. But it was just fascinating to really find out by not just that you won uh, for the state treasurer position, but by such a large margin. So again, that's incredible to hear that it makes sense. And as you were saying, actually, uh, you've had a very diverse career, obviously, like you said, um, serving such as like in the California State Assembly. So how would you say that this background of yours influenced your approach to your current role as the California State Treasurer? Yeah, um, you know, I am um, a very curious person. So I do like to go out and see and hear from people. I do a lot of visits uh, to companies, to farms, to, you know, garbage and recycling um, facilities, et cetera, when I don't understand an issue. And once I do dig in and it interests me, then I, um, you know, tend to try to be more of an expert uh, so that I can speak with authority and make decisions based on what is really happening out there versus just someone coming into my office with a PowerPoint uh, or trusting, you know, the media or the news, you know, because they only tell one side of the story. So I think, right. you know, my inquisitive nature, I also like to collaborate with people. And so uh, coming up with a problem and a solution and trying to get people to work with me on finding that solution um, I think is uh, is very important. And I also try not to be partisan in my decision-making and my issues. Uh, many people uh, that are not in politics are kind of middle of the road. And many Californians are registered as um, declined to state, meaning they don't want to be affiliated with either the Republican or the Democratic Party. And so more and more people, you know, want to make decisions based on uh, the issue. They want to vote 
for candidates based on, you know, uh, the qualifications and the skills, and they don't want to be labeled uh, as to a party. So I think, um, you know, just uh, being, you know, bipartisan, nonpartisan, talking about the issues that we all can come together on, I think uh, has given me, um, you know, this level of success so far. Yeah, of course. I mean, I think it's really brave that you're very strong and inquisitive in regard to your stances. I think actually it took a while for me personally to take the stances. I was one of my parents and I myself are one of those people that were always in the middle ground because we didn't want to get into it. But I just wanted to say that as someone who is an Asian American female, I've become sincerely captivated by the field of politics and engaging directly with the people. So what advice do you have for individuals, especially young women, who aspire to make a difference in the public sector just as you have? Yeah, so um, there's a number of ways. Number one, uh, internships. Uh, Many of the elected offices at the federal, state, and local level do accept interns and everybody has a different process. Uh, My process is a little bit more fluid and loose, whereas others have deadlines for you to apply for a certain time period. Like let's say you wanna um, intern in Washington DC for a Senator or a Congressperson, you should start early in the process. Uh, They do have deadlines and then you have to be able to commit you know, to working in the office for a certain amount of time. So um, that's one way. Number two, you can volunteer on a campaign. Uh, Mm -hmm. Every year, it seems like there's some campaign happening at the local, state and federal level. And also uh, sometimes there's initiatives, uh, local ballot initiatives, as well as statewide ballot initiatives. So to the extent that you have time and the candidate has a campaign office. You can just walk in and volunteer and say, hey, I'm here, I'm available at these times. And the more you show up and are dependable, you will start getting a leadership role. So Mm -hmm. don't be surprised if you volunteer for a candidate and then after a couple of weeks, they put you in charge of all the interns, for example. (laughs) um, That that happens a lot because we depend on uh, interns and, and volunteers to help us um, in elected office. Mm-hmm. And then once you feel a little more comfortable, you can apply for a uh, an appointment. Uh, Governor Gavin Newsom strives to have 50% of his appointees on his boards and commissions, women. Um, mm-hmm. And there are like student Uh, positions right now. So I have one of my mentees who is going to Stanford, who has applied for one of the youth um, boards, but then also at your local government level, your city, your your, uh, county, and maybe your school boards also may have opportunities for you to apply and represent the youth vote, uh, youth voice, excuse me. Uh, You can also uh, join um, certain organizations that are registering people to vote. For example, 2024 is a big year. It's a presidential year. Uh, Congress uh, members are on the ballot. Uh, All the uh, uh, state assembly members are on the ballot, some senators. And so there are a lot of folks going out there and trying to register uh, people, making sure that they you know, have, are still at the same address, the same contact information, 
And uh, so they are always updating the voter rolls. So those are just a couple of ways you can get involved now. Wow, thank you so much for your input on that. Like, I love the way that you provided so many different like ways to be able to get involved, even if uh, you know we're a lot of people are at younger ages. So thank you so much for that. Oh, so, and I'll give you one more. So I have some I have some interns that you know, don't live here in California or live close to me, but they want to do research projects for me. So I will assign them research projects, uh, and then when they come back, you know, on a holiday. Uh, I invite them to join me, to shadow me, uh, to come and staff me at different events. And so if you find a favorite elected official that you like, you can always offer uh, those type of, um, you know, services. Wow. I mean, that's incredible that you even provide that opportunity to so many students in the first place. Mm So really, we give our hats off to you. Okay. So we also wanted to ask you, Back to your journey a little bit, if you could tell us about any sort of specific challenge that you faced in your career and how you exactly overcame it, also what you may have like learned from that experience. Yeah, well, I, I will talk about in elected office. Uh, number one, people say, is it harder to run for office if you're Asian or you're a woman? Mm-hmm. And for me, I think being a woman is harder uh, than being an Asian. Gotcha. Really? Um, a lot of people, you know, think of us as, like you said, you know, be beyond the model uh, minority, right? We study right, hard, right. we right. Uh, are diligent, you know, we pay attention, we listen. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as a female, I feel like uh, there's a double standard all the time uh, between the men and the women. Uh, most of the elected officials are men. Most of the lobbyists that uh, work with elected officials are men. Many of the industries that we regulate, like banking and Hollywood uh, and schools, you know, are uh, headed by men. And so that I feel like is more difficult. And the way men network with each other, uh, they golf. They smoke cigars, go drink whiskey, Mm. go fishing, take trips together. And for women, that is not really the way that we are comfortable uh, networking with them. And so then there is that a little bit of a disconnect in terms of building those strong relationships. So, you know, we have to work on, you know, ways for us to uh, move ahead, uh, to show who we are, what goals that we have. And I really believe social media has been a great uh, leveler for women. Um, A lot of us don't tend to pat each other on the back or pat ourselves on the back and say, oh yeah, look at me, you know, I'm so great, I did this. Uh, We don't like to take credit for other people's work and we barely take credit for the work that we've done. And being on social media every day, I post on X thread, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. So I tried to catch people's attention no matter what social media they uh, they look at every day. And that's my way of telling people, you know, who I am, what I stand for, uh, what I'm doing every day, that I'm working hard. I'm not just sitting home, you know, you know, doing nothing, but I'm actually in the community, learning, promoting, uh, and, um, you know, just supporting all the good things that people in California are doing. So um, please follow me on social media.
Yeah, no, actually, speaking on your social media, I saw that you're very, very dedicated to supporting associations dedicated to ethnic groups, and it was really touching. Examples include you stopping by, like, the Filipino American Press Club of California, which is really nice to hear because I'm actually Filipino American, or other events that support um, marginalized groups such as the Hope Through Housing Gala. So, in regard to your social networking, does this play an intricate role in your projects or how you hope to support the community? Um, I always say, if you invite me, I will come. And you all reached out. We met. You reached out. You know, I I am very serious about uh, that commitment. Mm-hmm. And so, as I meet people, and uh, they, you know, they invite me to other things, or they tell me what they're involved with, what their passions are, and if I don't uh, really uh, understand it, then I, you know, want to under, you know, want to go and learn. Like this weekend. Uh, one of my girlfriends is Buddhist, and she's very active with the Suchi uh, Foundation. Uh, they're a humanitarian organization, and she took me by the temple on Saturday, and we met some of the leaders, and I could, you know, better understand what this group is doing around the world in terms of helping people uh, during natural disasters. So that's just my way of, you know, when I understand something, then I can post it on social media and hopefully educate others uh, about people and organizations that are doing good work and then maybe encourage them to join in if they have some free time and volunteer as well. I absolutely admire the fact that you're so involved with the people around you and that you love to spread that message through your ways of social media. So it's just amazing to be able to hear that. And we really do respect you for all that you've done involving that. And so we actually wanted to ask you, um, for myself, I definitely have a role model. I've had many role models in my life. Ella has had many role models in her, in her life. We wanted to ask if you actually have had any specific role models or individuals who have greatly influenced your journey in either public service or any kind of, I guess, journey that you've had. Um, I've, I've had a lot of role models. Uh, I wouldn't be here without mentors, uh, mostly men that have you know taken me under their wing and uh, you know pushed me out into their networks. Uh, my first political boss was State Senator John Burton. And he is a legend in uh, in California, in San Francisco. Uh, and so he gave me my first job as a field representative part-time um, where I was able to you know, learn what it takes to represent people, serve our constituents and get elected you know, as, as an elected official. So he definitely played a big influence in my life. And he taught us three things. He would say, darling, Remember who brought you to the dance, meaning you got to be loyal. Number two, be a voice for those who don't have a voice. And number three, stand up for what is right, even if you're the only one standing. And so, you know, his principles have really resonated with me every day of my uh, political career. And sometimes when I feel down or I feel sad or, or, you know, frustrated, I always think about, you know, my first boss and he's 91. Um, wow. 
and he's still here with us and he has a foundation where he raises money for foster youth. So that is really his passion and an area that I am also passionate about. Uh, along the way, Mike Honda, Congressman Mike Honda, uh, when he was in Congress, you know, he was really helpful in helping me get elected. Uh, I was kind of the dark horse in the race. Uh, like I said, you know, I was Asian, I'm a woman, and there were more men in the race that, you know, they probably thought that they were going to win, but having Mike Honda fly back from Washington, D.C. and represent me at like the Chinese Six Companies and other, you know, ethnic organizations was really key in um, helping me get elected to my first race. Um, obviously, you know, Hillary Clinton, you know, I never thought we were going to see a woman uh, president mm -hmm. in my lifetime. And when Hillary ran, you know, here she is. She's super smart. She knows the job. You know, she lived in the White House. She was a very active and successful um, uh, U.S. senator, the busiest secretary of state the U.S. has ever seen. Uh, she's got an amazing memory for faces and people. And so I was really excited to be part of her team. And when she didn't win, you know, I was disappointed. But now we have Kamala Harris, my good friend, uh, in the White House as the vice president. So, you know, I have hope again that, you know, we're going to see uh, a woman president in my lifetime. So there's been a lot of people that have influenced me over the years. And I take, you know, what I can from each one and uh, try to support, um, you know, the people who are doing good work. Yeah, of course. I mean, I think it's really nice that you directed it to your former bosses along with um, past political influential figures that were women. I also wanted to ask you more into the policy area side. What is your stance on particular issues such as affordable housing, which is a very rampant issue that impacts marginalized groups throughout California? And was there any projects that you committed to that has combated that with your efforts? Yes, I also forgot to mention John Chung, uh, the mm. former treasurer, State Board of Equalization mm. um, uh, controller. He has been one of my mentors. He actually came and walked precincts for me uh, when I ran for the Board of Supervisors. And mm -hmm. I trusted him and still do when candidates run in Southern California. If I don't know them, I will call him and say, do you support this person, and if he does endorse them, then I endorse that person too. So you need to have trusted, you know, uh, allies as well. So John right. Chung. Um, okay, so affordable housing. Uh, I oversee the bonds and the tax credits that go to subsidize affordable housing. Mm. And for the past uh, five years, we have rolled out more tax credits and bonds and have approved more new construction for very low and extremely low individuals in California. Wow. So it has not been easy because building affordable housing is like putting together a complicated jigsaw puzzle. There's so many pieces to it, so many you know, approvals, so many financing uh, tools that you need to look for. And um, you know, affordable housing is probably one of the toughest uh, spaces if you are in the real estate business. So I'm very proud. Even during COVID, I showed up for work every day, made sure we had our monthly meetings, uh, made sure we were passing uh, or updating our 
regulations and rules and guidelines so that we could get the tax credits and bonds out on time because there are time limits uh, for, you know, getting this, um, you know, them out onto the street, so to speak. Uh, I also was a uh, homeowner when I was 22 years old. So I oversee four savings programs and I'm always pushing our savings programs because it works. Uh, when we were born, my parents put aside a certain amount of money into dividend reinvestment stocks that accumulated so that when we went to college, we didn't have to incur high student loan debt. And in my case, I had extra money that I decided to put down uh, as a down payment for my first two unit property in San Francisco. And mm. buying real estate, home ownership is uh, the way to build wealth here in this country. Uh, the last um, year we have rolled out first time home buyer down payment assistance for first time home buyers, essentially helping those homeowners with their 20%, up to 20% down payment assistance for no cost, no fees uh, upfront. And the state of California will make our money when the homeowner sells their property or refinances for the second time. So that is the dream for all fund. Uh, it opened and closed within two weeks because there was so much interest and Governor Gavin Newsom put more money into uh, the program uh, coming up in the spring, but with a little twist. This time it is gonna be for first time home buyers whose parents have never owned a home because we are really trying to break those cycles of poverty. And when one generation, for example, has not gone to college, um, you know, ha doesn't have, you know, credit cards and a credit history, cannot buy a house, then the next generation, uh, it's harder for the next, next generation because they don't um, have, you know, the parents that have shown them uh, the way to good financial literacy, for example. So financial literacy is also uh, one of my mantras and something that uh, that I uh, promote and talk about a lot. And then um, other housing, uh, we are going to uh, build more student and faculty housing on UC, CSU, and community colleges. And my office is going to oversee uh, that um, loan program it's going to be a revolving a revolving loan program and so we are trying to build more housing because we understand that our schools are at capacity and they cannot accept more students and balance their budgets without the necessary housing so that's another uh, initiative that i am looking forward to mrs mott i think that it's just incredible with how much you are trying to stop the cycle of poverty, especially in California. And it is truly something that myself and millions of other people truly admire of you. So thank you so much for this. And I want to just do a plug for my Cal Kids program, calkids.org. Uh, the governor and the legislature put in over $2 billion for child savings accounts for first through 12th graders who are on free and reduced lunch, essentially, they are mm -hmm. eligible for $500 right now that could go toward their college or an apprenticeship program. Um, secondly, if they're homeless, they can get another 500. And if they're a foster youth, they can get another 500. So if you can help spread the word that 
some students potentially have money sitting in their accounts and they just have to go and claim it at calkids.org. And another program also for newborns, any newborn born after July 1st, 2022, regardless of income level, is also eligible for money into their child savings account. So people can log on to calkids.org. We will definitely spread that message. Thank you so much, mm-hmm. Mrs. Ma. And lastly, we just wanted to say that we know that uh, you are planning for running for the California Lieutenant Governor position in 2026. So we just want to ask why you actually decided to run for this position and what led to the exact moment where you had announced this. Yeah, so I announced uh, earlier this year in March that I was going to run for Lieutenant Governor in 2026. I know it's far off and normally candidates don't start running for office until about two years out. So I am three years out, but public service is my calling. I think I still have a lot that I can contribute uh, to California uh, in terms of, you know, economic development and sitting on the UC CSU community college boards um, as Lieutenant Governor. So I want to continue my public service. And as long as Californians are willing to elect me, then I am willing to serve. So uh, I announced early to try to clear the field because a lot of folks are looking for where they are going to run next. And in politics here in California, we have term limits. That means we can only serve for a certain amount of uh, years. And then we need to find another place if we want to continue. So I call it musical chairs. You hope you have a chair when the music stops. And so (laughs) I'm hoping that my chair will be the Lieutenant Governor post. Of course. Well, Mrs. Ma, we're definitely willing to support your campaign in the coming years. And with that being said, I think we're ready to wrap this up. Again, everyone, please be sure to follow and catch up with Mrs. Ma's projects and, of course, other updates on X and Instagram, as she said. We're definitely going to be linking it as we publish it. And thank you so much, Mrs. Ma, for taking the time out of your day to come join us on our podcast. And so, Thank you, Ellen and Andrew. <laughs> keep up the good work. Of course. And until next time, as we go more in-depth about what goes beyond the modelation. <laughs>